All right, so what is the goal of our study on tonight? And it is to complete our study of Acts 1-8 and review various Bible study tools. So our goal is to complete our study of Acts 1-8 and review various Bible study tools. So if you want to, turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 1. Um, and last week we read through verses 1 through 14 so that we could have some context to go along with the verse that we looked at. And then like I said last week, we did observation of this verse and we looked at what does it say. And whenever we did that, we asked the six questions in observation. And for review, what are those six questions we ask in observation? Yeah, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Exactly right. And so we look at just what is right there in front of us and we ask the passage those six questions. So now that we've gone through the observation, now it takes us to interpretation. And interpretation is simply, it's a recreation process. We want to think about what was the writer meeting in the point in time whenever he's writing this? Whenever God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave him these words to write down, what is it that they mean? Are we going to be able to, to explain and understand everything that's in God's Word? No. Why not? Because He is infinite and we are finite. And so what do we need to do? We need to take the things that we can't understand. We need to dig them. We need to know them. But most importantly, we need to apply them to our lives. That's why the Bible is written so that we can have transformation in our lives to be more like Christ. There can be many applications, and I said this last week, there can be many applications from a passage of Scripture, but there is only one interpretation. And all people may not agree on the interpretation, and that is fine as long as we keep in mind the conflict is not in the text, but in our limited understanding of the text. You see, God is not confused about what He has said, even if we are. Amen. And so God has, has a purpose and a reason for what is written in His Word. So let's think about interpretation. And there are three key aspects to interpretation. And we talked a little bit about these last week. The first one is we look at the verbs. And we said the verbs do what? Action. Exactly. They give the action that is going on in the verse. The action that's going on in the passage. The action that's going on in the chapter depending on what it is that you're studying. And you look at the, at the verbs because they give you, is it past tense? Is it present tense? Is it future tense? Are the verbs active? Are they passive? And so all of those things we need to look at if we're going to study God's Word. The next thing are the connectives. The connectives. And this is where we had that whole list last week and we kind of went through that whole list of but and therefore, and so that, and, and, all of those different connective words. And we said they're very important 
whenever you're studying a passage of Scripture. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, or at the verse we're looking at today, it starts off with but. And we said but shows contrast. And so what is that contrast? What is he talking about? And then finally, C is the keywords. Keywords. And we said keywords are any words that are important to us. A keyword for me may be different than a keyword for you, but it's any word that needs to be um, understood on a deeper level. It's something that is important, or it's something that maybe you just don't know the meaning of. And so, if you're going to study a passage of scripture, you need to know the meaning of the words. Or it may be a word that's used multiple times, and if it's used multiple times in a passage of Scripture, then it's a key word. It's important. There's a reason why it's there multiple times. So let's begin breaking down our passage and looking at these three aspects so that we can interpret what Acts 1.8 is talking about. So let's look in the order. What are the verbs there beginning but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what's the first verb? Receive. Will. will receive. Exactly right. So, will receive. In what tense is that? Future. Future. Exactly future. right. So in the future, we're going to receive power. So in the future we're going to receive power. What's the next one? Come. Has come upon you. So has come upon you. In what tense is that? Current. Has. Has come upon you is past tense. Past tense. The Holy Spirit comes before the power is what we see. And then what's the last one? Shall be. Shall be. And what tense is that? Future, exactly right. So down there, it's got the verbs show us that after the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples will then receive power and then they will be witnesses. So we see the flow based off of the verbs. So we get the flow of the passage, how everything is going to happen in what order. And so they're waiting for the power, the power comes from the Holy Spirit, which so the, the Holy Spirit comes, gives them the power. Once they've got the power, then they go out and are to be witnesses. Makes sense? Seems simple, doesn't it? So why is it so hard to study the Bible? It's not. So we all ought to be doing it. Alright, what's the connective there? But, exactly right. And but shows what? Contrast. Contrast. And so, based off of our passage of Scripture that we read last time, what is the contrast? 
Where do you find the contrast first? Verse prior. Yeah, so you got to go back, and it's something that is that is prior to what has just happened because there's something that happened, and so to contrast that, you've got to go backwards. And so, what is the contrast? It's not time for what? It's not time for the kingdom, but it's time to do what? What are we supposed to do? Be witnesses. Be witnesses. So it's not time for the kingdom, because that's the question they ask. Is it now time for the t- kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the epics. It's not time now for the kingdom, but what I've got for you to do now is to be my witnesses. And so that's the contrast. So this next one, whenever we look at the key words, like I said, they're key words and they're any words that are important, any words that we see um, as important. And so they may be different for different people. We'll see what list we come up with um, versus what we've got in the book, and then we'll look at the ones that are in the book and... Um, if there's other ones, we'll look at those as well. So what are some key words that you see there in this verse? Power. Power. Yeah. Exactly. And the Greek word for that word power is dynamis, and that has the, the, that word is the word we get dynamite from. And I talked a little bit about this like after class last week, but this is the word that we get the word dynamite from. And so you'll receive power. It's not just, you know, a BB gun type of power. I mean, this is dynamite type power that we have inside of us that these believers, that these um, apostles were about to receive. You know, Jesus told him that he had to go away, John 14 um, through 16. He said he had to go away and there was his helper that was coming um, and it was necessary for him to go away and whenever he went away um, through what they were going to receive this Holy Spirit they were going to be able to do greater things than even he was able to do and so this is that power this is what they are receiving is this power this enablement this ability um, and that they're receiving and so they're going to get this power and the power is, so that power is an important word. It's a key word. What other words do you see there that are important or key words? After. After. Okay, so there's, there's an order to the system in which they're going to get it. Key word, I think. Witness, would that be one? Witness, that's definitely a key word. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a witness? Somebody can des- testify something. Okay, somebody to testify against something. So you think about a jury trial, and you have a witness, and you put a witness up on the witness stand, and what does he do? He testifies to what he's seen, to what he's heard. 
And he's supposed to testify to what? What do they make you do before you go up on the witness truth. stand? Truth. Witness, witness, witness to the truth. Exactly right. And then just put on the Bible. Exactly. And so that's what we are to do. We're to be witnesses of the truth. And where do we find the truth? We find it in God's Word. John 17, 17. Thy Word is truth. And Jesus says that you are to be my witnesses. And so there's a specific thing that he is saying that we are to be witnesses of and it's witnesses of him and so witness is is definitely a key word we've got to know what is what does it mean to be a witness um, what is a witness to do because that's what these disciples were supposed to do and so that's what we are supposed to be doing as as those who are who are disciples of Christ. And because we are to be disciples, we're to make disciples, and so we are to be witnesses. So we need to know what that word means. It's a key word. It's an important word. Any other words? That's actually number three. If you want to put them in the order that I'm going to, that they're in here. How about receive? What was number two? Number two, she just said it. Let's do that one first. Um, so number one was power. Number two is actually Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, Holy Spirit. So what do, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? What are, what are some key things that are important? God in us. Yeah, trust one. dwells in us. Okay. So He dwells in us. When? At the moment we believe in Christ, we, we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and indwells every believer. But what is this passage of Scripture? Because if you were studying this, what does it say? But you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts is a transitional book because Jesus had just been here on the earth. He died on the cross paying for sin. He arose from the grave. In the Old Testament, did, did believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them? No. Not yet. Sometimes. No. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they would come and, and then He would leave. But that's the difference. And that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, I am with you, but He'll be in you. And so, at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit and He indwells us. And what else does the Holy Spirit do for us as believers? Teaches. Teaches, exactly right. So He teaches us the truths that are found in God's Word. So whenever we dig the Bible, whenever we want to study the Bible, our ultimate teacher is the Holy Spirit. Even if I'm up here teaching you a passage of Scripture. If J.B.'s teaching a passage of Scripture on Sunday morning, yes, he is the teacher, but the ultimate teacher, the one that's giving you the information and, and allowing you to understand those things is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand the deeper things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 um, You know, and so we need the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. So that we can witness. But what else does He do for us? What did you say? I didn't hear you. If you said Believe. 
Okay, he, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he's actually on our side. If we're going to go out and we're going to be witnesses and we're talking to somebody, you know, we got Stacy here and she's not a believer and I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to give her the gospel message. So the Holy Spirit has taught me and the Holy Spirit's job in her is to convict her of sin, righteousness, and judgment. My job is to proclaim the truth to her but the Holy Spirit is not just on my side as a witness, but working on her behalf as well, convicting her of sin, righteousness, and judgment, sin that she may believe. And so, you know, so that's, that's another key thing that, that the Holy Spirit does. It convicts, the, convicts us so that we might believe, or so that they might believe. That's kind of, oh, I'll say, can I say a comment? Uh-huh. I guess it's kind of cool because when you're witnessing to someone and you think there's people that you think, oh, they, they didn't care what they didn't matter what I said or whatever, but like, it's kind of cool to think that God's that way. He's working on their behalf to convict them of their sin and, you know. Exactly, exactly right. And so one thing that we said that he does is he teaches us but also, uh, John 14, 26, he teaches us and then he also brings to our remembrance what we've been taught. And so we have the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. He gives us power to be witnesses. He brings to our remembrance what we've been taught. And so if we've been studying God's Word, if we know what the Gospel is, you know, so many people, they stand in front of people and they get scared. They're like, you know, oh, well, I just can't share the gospel because I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit. He empowers you. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's the one that taught you. And so whenever you go out there and you stand in front of somebody to witness, it's neat to think that I've got the teacher is standing right here with me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. He, he is with me. And so whenever I stand in front of somebody, He's going to give me the words. He's going to bring to remembrance what I've been taught. And so if I've done my homework, if I've done what I'm supposed to do, he's right there. He's going to bring to our remembrance what we've been taught. And so it's just kind of neat. I mean, just thinking about all that the Holy Spirit does. First um, Timothy 1.8, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, that fear, that's not from God, but power and love and discipline. What, what spirit? Power. Where, where is that found? Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we've got all of this working on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit is definitely a key word in this, in this passage. I think the Holy Spirit also brings peace to you and also a moral compass. Like you have a feeling of what it's, you know, that, 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 that's not right. Or Exactly, or if because... Or if it is. Exactly, because that's what... Kind of what Adam's talking about in his class in Newness of Life is that Romans 6, 7, and 8, you know, you and you've got this battle going on between us, mm -hmm. the flesh against the spirit, the spirit right. against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. Um, and so there is that battle going on inside of us. You know, yeah, I want to go do this over here that's wrong, but then the Holy Spirit's like, no, mm -hmm. you know, what have you been reading? What have you been studying? And um, so there is that battle that's going on in, inside of us. And like you said, he, he helps us to do the right things and helps to keep us on the path.
it really protects people from, you know, addictions and uh, doing things that are harmful for themselves and, and others. Exactly. All right, so we've got three words, power, Holy Spirit, witnesses. Any other key words that anybody sees there? What about Jerusalem? It's a key word. In Jerusalem. Exactly, because that's where they are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a key because it's telling them in Jerusalem. What else is important about Jerusalem? What's there? It's the holy city, yeah. So, you know, that's that's where the temple is. It's the place of worship. What did what did Paul say in Romans one sixteen to the Jew first and also to the Greek? And so they're starting right there in Jerusalem. And what kind of people are there in Jerusalem mainly? The Jewish peoples. And so, what about Judea and Samaria? What is Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem? It's a what? It's a capital and it's a what? It's a city. Okay, what about Judea? What is Judea? It's a region. Okay, and so it's a it's a region. I don't know how to spell all this stuff. <laughs> um, but it's it's a region, and so it's a it's a bigger area. And what's important about Judea? What what do we know about Judea? Mostly Jews live there, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's Samaria? Samaritans. Okay. Made up of most of the people are half Jew, half Gentile. And so it's not Jewish and Gentile, I mean most of the people there are half Jew, half Gentile that live there. And what did the Jewish people think about this, the Samaritans? <coughs> Look down on them. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, us saying we got to start here in Stillwater, and then we got to also include them people down there in Norman. <laughs> those those people that are that are that are not quite like us, and uh, and so 
But the truth is, so so we think about this. So it's it starts where in Jerusalem in a city where they are, then it spreads out to Judea to the Jews to a bigger area and even to Samaria. And so that is increasing and going further out from where they were because they're already in Judea and then to Samaria because Jerusalem is a city in Judea and then to Samaria. And so one of the other things that that tells us too is that we are to begin where we are. They were to begin where they are. Then we spread out from there. And then also the gospel the gospel itself, it doesn't discriminate. I mean, it's for all people. Mm-hmm. It's for Jews. It's for Samaritans. It's for Gentiles. Because even to the remotest parts of the earth. Who's at the remotest parts of the earth? Gentiles. Because... It, that's that's where um, Paul comes on the scene in, in chapter 9. And he goes on three missionary journeys and he takes the message even to the remotest parts of the earth. So you begin in, in Jew, and so it doesn't discriminate. It's for all kinds of people, all different nationalities, all different races. It doesn't matter if people have tattoos. It doesn't matter if people drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. I mean, all people need need Jesus, and it's just like these people. They would look down upon these people because they're half Jew, half Gentile. But they needed Jesus just as much as the Jewish people did. The Gentiles, they needed Jesus just as much as as the Jewish people, just as much as the Samaritans. And so the, the gospel doesn't discriminate. That it says in John three sixteen, whoever believes in him is for all people. For anyone who believes in Him. He's a satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And so, um, there's so much whenever you think about these places and what what are these places that there's a city, there's an area, then there's another area, and what's different between these areas, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. And I said it last week, that's why Acts 1-8 is so important because this is how the book of Acts um, plays out. And so if you look at the book of Acts, where do they start? What happens in Acts chapter 2? Does anybody know what happens in Acts chapter 2? Day of Pentecost. What happens? Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes. What does Peter do? He stands up. He proclaims Jesus Christ to who? To the Jews. Where at? In Jerusalem. And then as we go on, we see um, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, 8, right there. And then he gets stoned to death. And so what do the people do? They begin to spread out because of persecution. And whenever they spread out, what do they do? They take the gospel message with them to Judea, to Samaria. And then Acts chapter 9, like I said, Paul comes on the scene. And um, and then Paul goes on those three missionary journeys um, throughout the rest of the book of Acts all the way to the end whenever he gets put in prison in Rome. And, um, and so 
He takes the message even to the remotest parts of the earth. So it's a key verse. It's, it's important. And then these places are important to know and to understand in understanding how this passage flows and what he's telling us to do to begin where we are and then expand out from there. So, any other thoughts, comments, questions? Any other words that you see or key words that we need to look at? I don't know. Earth is kind of sticking out because it tells you that it's the whole planet. It's not just a region. Exactly. Even the remotest parts of the earth. And so it's every part of the earth. Um, it's it's all the way around. It's not just a specific region or or anything. It's it's everywhere. Number five was Judea slash Samaria. But like I said, I mean, you know, like he said, Earth, even the remotest parts of the Earth, and so it's it's global. It's it's worldwide. Well, it's not biblical if we. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people think. In order for me to be a witness, in order for me to evangelize, I've got to go on a mission trip. And, um, you know, it's been said that there's... Um, I can't even think of the saying now. There's no transformation in aviation. So if you're not evangelizing here what makes you think that you're going to evangelize there and so you know there's no transformation in aviation you need to be transformed here by the renewing of your mind you need to put into action uh, the things that you've learned from God's word beginning here before you go there and the truth is and I said it earlier whenever we were talking about the gospel and everything if you want to touch lives all across the world the greatest place in the world to do that is right here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, because you got the campus up there. You've got people from all different nations coming in, coming together at one place. And the people that come here to go to go to school are not the dummies from the other countries. They're the elite people from the other countries that are more than likely going to go back there and be in positions of leadership in. Uh, setting up their own companies, things like that. And so these are going to be people who are going to be influential. And so if you can lead them to Christ, you can disciple them right here, right now. While they're here, they can take the message back with them. And so it doesn't mean taking the message even to the remotest parts of the earth means that you have to go there. But you can be associated with people that are here that can take that message even to the remotest parts of the earth as well. There's one other thing in there that that um, I think is a key word where he says, you shall be my witnesses. And so, you know, my witnesses. Who's speaking? Jesus. And he says we are to be my witnesses. Why does he say my witnesses? Because we are His people. We're children of God. We're children of God. Partnership with Him. Partnership with Him. 
What is the gospel? Exactly. So we're to be. He says you're to be my witnesses, and so the gospel is all about who? Jesus. And so if we're going to be His witnesses, if we're going to proclaim Him to the world, that is the proclamation that we make. And so our proclamation is not about general things about the Bible whenever we're talking to unbelievers. It's about Jesus Christ. And they were physical witnesses to His life, to His death, and to His resurrection. And so he says, you are to be my witnesses. So whenever you talk to other people, whenever you give them the truth about me, then what do you tell them? I saw Jesus. He was alive. I saw Jesus. He died on the cross. I saw Jesus. He was, he was in the grave. I went to the grave. Jesus was no longer there. I saw Jesus alive. He came and, and I saw him physically. Um, and so all of these different things, you know, they were to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And we are not witnesses in eyewitness testimony that we saw Him alive and dead, but we have the truth found in His Word. And so that's what the Gospels show us, the life of Christ, selected events of the life of Christ. And like we said, there's four different reasons that for the four different Gospels. To show Him as King, to show Him as Servant, to show Him as Man, to show Him as God. The reason that He did the signs that He did. Whenever He proclaims that I am, the I am statements in the Gospel of John, so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have life in His name. And so that my there I think is important. That whenever we talk to people, we make sure that the focus is Jesus Christ whenever we're talking to them. You know, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday morning in our grow group, you know, because a lot of people, you can talk about God all you want to. And a lot of times that doesn't offend people. But whenever you say Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through Him. Acts 4.12, for there is salvation in no one else other than the name of Jesus. And so whenever you do that, it gets offensive to, to some people. And so, but that's who we are to be witnesses of, is of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we don't talk in general terms about God. We talk about Jesus Christ because He is the way, the truth, and the life. So, a lot of great things. Any other um, observations or interpretations before we go on to application? No, we're we're to that now. So in the summary right there at D, number one is it is not time for the kingdom, but time to witness for Jesus Christ. It is not time for the kingdom, but time to witness for Jesus Christ. Number two, the power to witness comes from the Holy Spirit. The power to witness comes from the Holy Spirit.
Number three, the disciples were to begin in Jerusalem. The disciples were to begin in Jerusalem and spread throughout the world. The disciples were to begin in Jerusalem and spread throughout the world. I'm going to give you um, five keys that we must take into account whenever we interpret Scripture. And this is from Howard Hendricks' book, um, Living by the Book. But I think these are key that we need to write down out beside of this before we move on to application. Number one is content. Number one is content. And we really dealt with the content that was right there before us um, whenever we did observation. But, you know, whenever we're interpreting a passage of Scripture, we've got to look at the content. What is right here before us? Number two is context. Mm -hmm. Context. So we did that as well in this passage because we looked at uh, verse 1 through verse 14 whenever we did our observation of this passage. And so we got to look at the context. What comes before, what comes after. Number three is comparison. Comparison. And what we mean by that is always compare Scripture with Scripture. So compare Scripture with Scripture, especially whenever you get to a Scripture that's hard to understand. You go back to Scriptures that you know are tried and true, that you, you understand for sure to help you to interpret the ones that are harder to understand. Then next is culture. You know, look at the historical context, the culture of the people. Um, that it was written to, for, and about. But the truth is, we said the Bible is alive and active. That means that it's, it's truth for today. Even though they lived in a different culture, they lived in a different way. So many people nowadays want to say what? Well, that part of the Bible was for those people at that specific time in that culture, and that doesn't apply to us today. But the things that were written in the past were written for our instruction. And so there is purpose, there is meaning, there is reason why the Bible is written and why those things are in there. And so even though we do have to look at the culture and everything, we can't play things off because it was at a, in a different place at a different time. And then the last thing is consultation. Consultation. And this is using <clears throat> secondary sources um, such as commentaries. But let me say this, and I'll say it again whenever we look at these Bible study tools here in just a little bit, is that this is the final step in interpretation. We don't start with a commentary to see what a passage means. We dig the scripture for ourselves. We decide what this passage means. Then we go to consultation, going to other commentaries, to other things that other people have written and said about this passage. Uh, 
to get confirmation or to see, you know, different views and is what it what I came up with the best view of what this passage literally means. And so don't start with that. This is always the final step. So content, context, comparison, culture, and consultation. Five keys to helping interpret Scripture. That takes us to the final thing, and that is application. Howard Hendricks says this, The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. It was written to transform your life. And that is so true. We are to be conformed to the image of God. Uh, Romans 8.29, Ephesians uh, 5, 1 and 2, we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Titus 1, 1 says, the truth that leads to godliness. And so we're to take the truth, and that truth is to lead us to godliness, to lead us to live godly lives. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers, who delude themselves. So, so many times, you know, well, we've got all of this information. I, I'm smart, you know. I know all about the Bible. But the, but the question is, are you living it out in your life? I mean, there's a lot of people that know very little about the Bible, but they live that part of the Bible out. That's way more important than somebody that knows a whole lot of the Bible mm-hmm. and doesn't live it out. So take what it is that you do know from Scripture, make application in your life. That's what pleases God. What were those references again? Uh, Titus 1.1 is the truth that leads to godliness. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Mm-hmm. Howard Hendricks also says this, many Christians are like poor photographs. They're overexposed and underdeveloped. So we're exposed to the Word. and We come to church on Sunday morning. We're here on Wednesday night. But are we making applications? Are we developed like we're supposed to be? You know, what did the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 5? He said, by this time you ought to be teachers. Yet I have need again to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food, for solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so we ought to know the deeper things of God's Word, but a lot of times we don't make application in our lives. We're not, we're not growing. We're not maturing. And so what do we need? We need to go back to the basics. We've got to have the ABCs. We've got to be spoon-fed. But that's not what, what we're to be like. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to make application of God's Word. So, down there, A, it says, we must always base our application on the what? Interpretation. Exactly right. We must always base our applications on the interpretation. So let's think about some applications. And also the other key to making applications is 
whenever we're doing personal Bible study, you always make the applications personal. Mm -hmm. So, I need to do this. That's what we need to say. So, let's think of what are some applications that we can make from this verse. Okay, there you go. That's that's key number one and easy to find is that we need to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So I need to be a witness of Jesus Christ is what you need to you need to put down there. You make it personal. I need to do this. What are some other applications? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me to witness. That's a key application. That's a key thing that we need to know and that we need to remember. Is it believe in accordance with paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is? Is taking you? Would that be an application of this? Yeah, I mean, because what do you? I mean, the the Holy Spirit. I mean, He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, judgment, but He also leads us as as uh, believers, and He leads us in the way. And a lot of times, I mean, one of the things that we can do is pray for opportunities, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is there and. He's kind of that nudging, you know. We got the flesh against right. the spirit, spirit against the flesh, and the Holy Spirit, you know, that flesh is saying timidity, scared, don't. And the Holy Spirit saying power, teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to bring to your remembrance, you right. know. And so it's that flesh against the spirit, and so yeah, the Holy Spirit leading in that aspect as well. Yeah, I wrote it. Uh, live by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Yep, exactly. What other applications? Start from where you are. Bingo, that's another great one. Start from where you are. What did they have to do? They had to wait for what? power of the Holy Spirit. What do we got to wait on? Nothing. We've already got the Holy Spirit inside of us. So there's another application. Now. Now. We don't have nothing to wait for. I've got a friend. I've got a neighbor. I've got a co-worker. I've got a student. I've got a classmate. I've got somebody that I know that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I need to start where I am. I need to start now because I have nothing to wait on. Um, one thing that it's been on my mind um, could be a, some kind of a project is 
to um, put together multiple parts of the, the Bible that talk about uh, this not being something judgmental, you know, it's just something like you apply to yourself and it doesn't discriminate against any color, creed, race, whatever. Um, because personally, I find hard to talk, especially with the people that need the most because they're kind of in a dark place. And usually they're not believers and that's part of it. And the, the, if I come up to them and say, hey, you know, hey, I, I became a Christian just, you know, this year, whatever. They will look at me like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> there it comes. You know, we're expecting some, some, some thoughts that probably won't, that, that th we would think less of them or anything along those lines. So before I even try to go there uh, to even say that I am Christian or that they should be or it would be good for them in their best interest to be Christians, I think we need to find a way to um, dissolve what they've been learning from, I'd say, popular um, media, um, that creates this resistance, right? Yeah. And I, and I think one of the things is, um, you know, you, you never, whenever you're talking to people that are in dark places and, and you know, not living the right style of life style. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, thinking about Samaritans and, and, you know, thinking of them because you're half Jew and half Gentile. And so, you know, we go out of our way to go around Samaria. We don't go through Samaria. Um, we go around Samaria. And so, you know, and that's what we do a lot of times is we go around people. Look at that guy over there. He's got all these tattoos. He's smoking a cigarette and everything. I'm going around him. I'm going to get away from him. But, you know, he needs Jesus as much as anybody else. And the message that we have is not a message of judgment against what they're doing. I've got a good news message for you. And the message that I have is what Jesus did for you is he died on the cross. He paid for your sins. And so there's nothing that you can do that won't that will keep you away from him. And so um, he died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He arose from the grave. He conquered death so he can give life. And so the good news that I have for you is you simply believe in him and you have the gift of right. eternal life. And so, you know, I, I just think the way we approach it, because a lot of people you know, look at Christians as offensive, like you're against everything I am for, um, or that the way that I want to live my life, you're against all of that. No, I'm not against all of that. I'm for you having eternal life. And so... It's, it's a different idea altogether. Yes. Uh, you know, for me personally, I, when they, the day I understood that basically when you say we're all sinners and we all need him and it does not matter if you're like this awesome person who does a lot of you know charity and good stuff or if you're a criminal we're all kind of the same bucket exactly that's exactly what it says exactly. so it's total like if you want no judgment it cannot do any better than that right exactly and um and at the same time it sets a, a wonderful standard which is live 
try to be like Christ, more like Christ, right? Um, so I thought that was very healthy, and that's uh, it, very uh, contrasts with what people that don't know Christianity think of Christianity. They think, you know, <laughs> I've heard all sorts of things, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, you guys couldn't be more mistaken about this, you know, uh, and I guess... Exactly. I, uh, another another key example, I mean, a great thing that you can use is, do you know who the worst sinful person was in that's ever lived? No. The Bible tells us. Uh -huh. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, uh -huh. he said, It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. You think about Paul, and if you look at those verses previous right to that, to verse 15, he's a persecutor, he's a blasphemer. You know, he was doing all of these things. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, holding the jackets as the people were stoning him to death, and he was, he was calling them on. And then he was on his way to Damascus to, to go up there to bring people back to because they stood for Jesus Christ. But what did God do? Verse 16 goes on and says, But yet, for this reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me as the foremost sinner of all, the worst sinner of all, God might demonstrate His perfect patience mm -hmm. as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. That's amazing. Got the worst sinner of all, became not only a Christian, but someone who wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. If God can do that for the worst sinner of them all, Paul, then He can do it for you. You know? I mean, so, there's, there's a good, another great segue to, mm -hmm. to take to somebody. You know, you think you're, you're bad, you're, you're too far away. You know, sometimes we think that of people around us. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got this friend, but he's so horrible. I've got this family member, but he does X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that he can be saved. Hey, if the worst person, the worst sinner of all can be saved, then through God's perfect patience, God's mercy, then so can you, this person, that person. That's, that's great. I love it. That's great. I think another key thing to our testimony is that we need to express the joy of the Lord because they need to see yeah. that God, the, the joy that He puts within us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's... Testimony. Exactly. That is excellent. Amen to that. Because, yeah. you know, I met somebody that I'm like, what's up with the lights? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on there? You know, I was like, whoa, that's really impressive. Yeah. And uh, the people that I most admire in life, they coincidentally uh, happen to be Christians. And they all have this piece that, oh, my gosh, like, you know, it's wonderful to, to see and Exactly. You know, and I'm, I, I'm striving to be at that place. Yeah. You know. So mm -hmm. like she said, when you can notice the joy coming from somebody. Yeah. And you know, if, if sometimes it's so much that you even puzzles. <laughs> exactly, and that's <laughs> why. Of hopelessness, you know. And that goes right. back to what we were talking about. You don't just study the Bible to yeah. know it. 
but we study it so that we can make application, uh -huh. so that we can be transformed, so that we can be more like Christ, so that we can show that joy to other people. Uh -huh. Whenever we've got that joy, then that doesn't just make it where you have to go talk to people, but sometimes people want to come, come to talk to you, to you yes, and say, great. what is uh -huh. it that you have? Because I want what yeah. you've got, and you can tell them yeah. what I've got is eternal life. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. All right, so let's see here. So we listed several applications. Let me give you nine other questions from Living by the Book, that same book that I gave you those um, five C's a while ago. Think about these as application questions. You can write these down out there beside it as well if you want to. Number one is, is there an example to follow? Is there an example to follow? And in this passage, I think there's a great example to follow. He told these, these guys to be witnesses. And if you go through the rest of the book of Acts, you see that they were witnesses of Jesus Christ. The day of Pentecost, Peter. You see the, at the stoning of Stephen. What was Stephen? He stood for Jesus Christ even to his death. And he was just like Christ. Whenever they were stoning them to death, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Stoning of Stephen, what's Stephen telling God? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing as they're putting him to death. So, there's a great example to follow. We need to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a sin to avoid? So whenever you look at a passage of Scripture, a lot of times you see, you know, don't do X, Y, Z. Um, and so there's a sin to avoid. In this passage, there's not as much a sin to avoid unless you say that you're not being obedient to what it calls you to do to be witnesses. That would be a sin to avoid. Number three, is there a promise to claim? Hmm. Is there a promise to claim? In this passage or in this verse, there is a promise to claim that I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have the power to witness inside of me. So there is a promise to proclaim. Number four, is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a prayer to repeat? In this verse, there's really not a prayer to repeat. Um, but as you go throughout Scripture, there's a lot of prayers to be repeated. Number five, is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? In this passage of verse of Scripture, there is a command to obey. Be my witnesses. And so there is a command to obey. Is there a condition to meet? Is there a condition to meet? Like I said earlier, they had a condition to meet. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But for us, there's no condition to meet. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, so now is the time. Number seven, is there a verse to memorize? Is there a verse to memorize? In this sense, there is definitely a verse to memorize. You've got to memorize it for a quiz, but also you memorize it because it's what the whole book of Acts is based on this verse. And so whenever you know this verse and then you read the book of Acts, you can see that flow as it goes through there. Number eight, is there an error to mark? Is there an error to mark? And what we mean by that is, is there an error in my theological thinking that this passage corrects and causes me to change my thinking? 
It's not really a deep theological. It's telling you what to do. Um, and, and so I would say there's probably not a whole lot in that. Verse or Number nine is, is there a challenge to face? Is there a challenge to face? The challenge is to be as witnesses. <coughs> Alright, if you want to flip back to the back of your book and there is a list of um, Bible study tools back there in the back. And these are tools that you can use to help you in your, in your Bible study, um, things that you may want to buy, um, but a lot of things you can do actually on, on websites and everything now, so you don't have to have all the books like you uh, used to have to have. But um, number one is a concordance. A concordance, and that gives you um, basically different places that the same word is used throughout Scripture. Um, if you have a study Bible, you know that's kind of what this does. It gives you verses um, that are similar to or related to um, that verse. The next thing is a Bible dictionary slash encyclopedia. You need to know what the words uh, mean, and so you can use that. An atlas, um, kind of like we were looking at. There's Jerusalem, there's Judea, there's Samaria. You know, where are these places, and how do they make sense? Because if you didn't know where Jerusalem was, Judea, Samaria, how that all fit together, I mean, how you might not see that that flow and that contrast. Um, language. Greek and Hebrew is how they how it's originally written. Mm -hmm. Now it's so much easier. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of websites you can go and you can basically just click on a word. You get the Greek word um, for that word, um, and then it gives you the meaning of the actual Greek word so that you can see you know what those what those words actually mean. Cultural books, background. Um, commentaries and like I said earlier this is a last resort someplace you go at the very end um, it are commentaries you don't start with that to figure out what the meaning of a passage is you dig it on your own first history books um, stillwaterbible.org so basically our website if you go on our website you know JB teaches through the Bible verse by verse passage by passage most all of the New Testament books, I don't think 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1, 2, and 3 John, I don't think are on there verse by verse, passage by passage, but I think pretty much all the other New Testament books, then the book of Genesis, Ruth, Esther, uh, 1 and 2 Samuel that we've just gone through, the first 11 chapters of 1, King, or 1 Kings will be on there. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of lot of books and that's what he does he basically just takes a passage of scripture he breaks it down and it's basically a commentary through voice blueletterbible.org if you've never been on that website it's an excellent thing they also have um, an app for your phone and um, it, it gives you a lot of information and everything through that app 
um, Plano Bible dot Plano Bible Chapel dot org or Sonic Light um, is Dr. Constable's notes from DTS, and he's got ex- exhaustive notes over pretty much every verse in the, in the Bible. Um, can be found on there and it's from a grace perspective and everything and so um, that's another great resource uh, commentary type thing to look at and then the grace new testament commentary done by ges is another um, great commentary to have to look at Um, and it's all written from a grace perspective i'd kind of watch out the author of ephesians though you know that guy he's he's a little He's a little, you know, because that's our pastor JB wrote the the uh, commentary on Ephesians. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's another great place to go um, to get some information to help you um, verify the things that you've already studied on your own. So, some great tools and everything to have. Um, if, if you want to study the Bible, but like I said, most of the things you can do using a computer and online where you used to, whenever JB started studying the Bible, you know he had to have six books open and look in here and look in here and, and uh, find what does this, this word mean, what is it, how, to, how many times is it used in the Bible and all of those things. Now you just click on a word and all that information's right there for you. All right, so in summary, back to where we were. Number one, as we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. As we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. As we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. Number two, we based our applications on the interpretation. We based our applications on the interpretation. And then number three, understanding the purpose and use of Bible study tools can help us as we study. Understanding the purpose and use of Bible study tools can help us as we study. The question is now, what are you going to do with the information that we've learned over these past two weeks? Are you going to make applications, set aside time to study the Bible? You know the basics. You've got the study sheets in the back of your book that you can use. It all begins with a plan. You've got to set up a plan. You've got to have a plan and, and determine a time whenever you're going to set aside to do this then discipline yourself to do what it is that you have planned. I love this. Dr. Ironside was asked by someone sometime, 
He said, I understand that you get up early in the morning to read and study your Bible. Oh, he said, I've been doing it all my life. Well, how do you manage to do it? The inquirer asked. Do you pray about it? No, he replied. I get up. See, many of us are expecting God to do what He is expecting us to do. And so, the Holy Spirit is there to teach us, but we got to get out of bed and open the book and begin to read it, begin to dig it, to begin to study it in order for Him to teach us. Get someone to hold you accountable. A husband or a wife, that's good. But what's even better is to get someone to turn around and to teach the material too. Because the best way to, to keep something is to give it away. You want to know something? And then you can't just know it by sitting here and listening. You know it by digging it for yourselves and then having to teach it to somebody else. Because then you don't just know it on a surface level. you got to know it to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. The best way to keep, some, keep what you've learned through this material is to give it away. That's exactly what Howard Hendricks says. So take what you've been taught and trust it to faithful believers who will be able to teach it to others also. 2 Timothy 2.2, that's what we're supposed to do.